0: Hi there. My name is Aaron Zimmerman. I'm the rector of St. Albans Episcopal Church in Waco, Texas. I'm delighted to be with you today. I preached at your Lenten series a few years ago in person. Now we do it through this means of technology, but I'm grateful to be with you. I'm a big fan of your dean and your clergy, both past and present, and of your congregation, and I'm honored to be part of this. Today is the first in three sermons I'll be giving on the 10th chapter of Mark's Gospel. This is the time in Jesus' ministry when he's headed to Jerusalem, headed to the end of his life, headed towards the week of Holy Week. Um, The chapter right after this is the triumphal entry, or Palm Sunday, which is coming up for us. And I want to be walking with you through this last um, through this chapter of Jesus's ministry, the last one before he enters Jerusalem, uh, as we also head towards these events. Today we're going to be reading from Mark 10, verses 13 through 16. Let's pray. Almighty God, help us to understand your word, speak to us through it in a way that would be helpful and meaningful for us right now in our lives. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. People were bringing little children to Jesus in order that he might touch them, and the disciples spoke sternly to them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, Let the little children come to me. Do not stop them, for it is to such as these that the kingdom of God belongs. Truly I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child— will never enter it. And he took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them, and blessed them. Here endeth the lesson. This is one of those passages that we all have heard or think we've heard. Uh, It's this very touching and beautiful scene of Jesus with these little children. And we tend to romanticize it, make it a little bit sentimental. We think of Hummel figurines and just children running around so precious. There's a soft filter as our Lord is there with his blonde hair and he reaches over and comforts them. And uh, we think uh, of that, or maybe we think of um, uh, our own children and we remember their earlier years and how precious they were. And if you were to come here to St Albans and be present for a baptism. You could look right over here, as I am, at the baptismal font, and you would see engraved into the marble this verse, uh, verse fourteen: "Let the little children come to me." Or, in the King James version, as we have on our font, "Suffer the little children to come unto me." And so we do get a little misty-eyed, and we think of this in kind of romantic or sentimental terms. And there is a sense in which that's true. It is this touching picture of Jesus with, with the children. But there's also something else going on here, something deeper and more profound for us. It's not just a cute picture of Jesus with the kids. There's something else very deep going on here that I think says something to us in our lives at this moment, and really always, the people that... Have to deal with the pain of being human this human life i want to talk about it i want to say three things i want to talk about the kingdom of god i want to talk about children and i want to talk about the car wash at the end and it'll make sense i promise when we when we get there so the first thing the kingdom of god this is mentioned twice in this passage the kingdom of god it says the kingdom of god belongs to children such as these and he says Anyone who wants to enter the kingdom of God must um, receive the kingdom of God as a little child. So, kingdom of God. We have to make sense of this because it's said twice in four verses. And I want to let you know that it is not what most people think. Most people think kingdom of God means heaven. And they see this passage and they think, if I want to get into heaven, I have to be like a little child. The kingdom of God is not heaven. It's really much more than that. The kingdom of God, Jesus tells us, is here now. Because kingdom of God means wherever God is in charge. And Jesus Christ is the King of kings and Lord of lords here and now, right here today. So this is the kingdom of God. You are in the kingdom of God. Uh, you're in it right now. It is where God is in charge and where people are in right relationship with him. And there's a sense of peace and harmony. The kingdom of God is a good place. It's a full place. It's a rich place. It's where you flourish and thrive. And you're in right relationship with God. You're in right relationship with others because it is what the world looks like when God is totally, fully, completely in charge. This is the kingdom of God. It's not some far off place. It can be right here and right now. It's what you all want. It's what I want. I want to wake up and not be anxious. I want to feel, what is they say, uh, they say someone is comfortable in their own skin. Uh, you know the difference between someone who walks through the world anxiously and someone who walks through the world at peace. The kingdom of God is the place where we are in right relationship with God and others because it is the world where God is in charge. This is the kingdom of God. It's what you and I want. It's paradise city, if I can quote Axel Rose, metaphorically speaking. So this leads us to the next big question. How do we get in there? How do we get to the kingdom of God, this place where God is in charge? We all want to enter it. Well, thankfully, Jesus tells us how to do it. He says you got to be like a child. Be like children. So what does this mean? We all need to... Wear our shirts inside out constantly have something sticky right here and one lace untied and mismatched socks is that what this means no it might i don't know try it but it sees it seems to me that it is saying three things when jesus says you have to be like a child and the kingdom of god belongs to children i think the first thing is jesus wants to emphasize weakness and powerlessness children are weak they are not in control they're not in control of anything really Um, and uh, this is something that we see clearly in what jesus is is talking about here you know the ancient world was a place that valued strength and power and for that reason children were by and large not valued If you know your ancient Roman history, the Greco-Roman world that this story takes place in, um, it was uh, very common in the ancient world to hear the sound of children crying because uh, infants, if they were weak or the family was poor and couldn't care for them, it was not uncommon for them to be left um, uh, outside in in the elements, just to die of exposure. Uh, This was a world that valued strength and power. Children, by contrast, are weak and they are powerless. Um, children don't get to decide where they go. They're told where to go. Uh, children can't make things come out right. Uh, the grown-ups are taking care of all that stuff. So there's this weakness and this powerlessness, um, which I think most of us pretend like it does not apply to us, but if there ever was a time reminding us of our powerlessness, I think it's now. The second thing you see with these children is that they are, um, or you see about children, is that uh, children are, um, as uh, essayist Tim Crider calls them, incontinent sociopaths. Now that would be funny if we we're in person. I don't know if you're laughing. It was meant as a joke. But he means that they are, they're not in control of themselves, their impulses, their physicality even. If you've ever seen a child just lash out. Um, and so what is emphasized here is in some sense the sinfulness of children. Uh, Children, we don't like to use that term. We tend to, again, as I said, idealize children. But if you've ever known a child, you know, they always want the biggest piece of cake. They always want to blame other people for what they've done wrong. They never want to take responsibility for things. They are manipulative, deceitful. And I love, I have three kids. I love them. They're amazing. But they are human beings. And as uh, um, Bishop Fitz Allison used to quote G.K. Chesterton all the time, said that, Original sin is the only empirically verifiable Christian doctrine, meaning you don't have to teach a child to lie or be manipulative or to be, to self, be self-absorbed. be self It's just how we are. And grown-ups display it maybe a little bit less because we're taught to hide these darker sides of our personality. We rarely throw tantrums in the grocery store or in the cereal aisle when we can't get the lucky charms. Children, however, display all of that human sinfulness in full display almost all the time. So, um, one of the other aspects about being a child is this sinfulness. And finally, the final thing you see about children in this passage in particular is their passivity. It says at the beginning that parents brought children to Jesus. The children did not wake up in the morning and say, you know, I think I'd like to meet the Lord today. I've been praying about it. No, there's no sense of spiritual seeking or going on a retreat or spending time in the labyrinth or anything like that, they just, um, they're brought. There's this passivity there. You see it again at the end um, when Jesus says, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child. The key is receive, not take, not grab, not grasp, not carpe diem, uh, not climb the mountain and find the prize at the top, grab the brass ring. No, he says you have to receive it, just be open. You know, we uh, demonstrate this in our liturgy on the Sundays that we have Holy Communion. You ever notice, we don't take it. you receive it. You just hold your hands open and you receive the kingdom of God. You receive the gift of his grace. It's very powerful. So, what does it mean to be a child? It means to be weak, powerless, a sinner who's not in control of his or her own self. And if you are like that, then you are also like a child, someone who's ready to be brought. You can't take the kingdom of God, it is, you are brought into it. And this is the final thing, uh, or actually the penultimate, the next to last thing I wanna say. In the kingdom of God, as I said at the beginning, the question is how do we get in it? How do we get in that place where we're at peace and God's in charge? Well, Jesus says it is to be received. It's to be received you open up to it. It's a gift. It is not something that we um, can take by force, which is frustrating because we all want to be given instructions. How How do I get the good life? Well, what Jesus says here, quite plainly, is that you already have it. To receive it is to open your eyes to what you already have, which is your prior belovedness. God has already decided to love you and loves you right now. Uh, The way I've sort of developed this little habit to to use in my own life, what often happens is I wake up in the middle of the night or if I'm lying in bed right before I go to sleep. This is when the anxiety uh, tends to uh, dance across my uh, pillow. And these thoughts about what I've done or not done, need to do, haven't gotten done, delayed too long, procrastination, conversations I haven't had or need to have or I had but didn't have right, all these things. And my mind just starts whirring. And I remind myself, remember, you're loved. And maybe you have something like this in your life. Some way you can remind yourself of what is already true. You are already loved. You are, he doesn't say the kingdom of God goes to the MVP who's won the homecoming game. He says the kingdom of God belongs to children. They already have it. Children who are weak, who are powerless, and who are sinners. So if that's you, if your life looks like that, the kingdom of God is yours. You already have it. You're already beloved. You're already forgiven. You're already embraced by God which brings me to my last point. It's at the car wash, like that old song. Um, this is my way of talking about the way Jesus communicates his love. What I've already talked about, that you have the kingdom of God, you're already beloved, how Jesus communicates this. Now, if you go to a car wash often, not the fancy ones where people wash your car, but the, you know, $5 dollars drive through kind, it's a tunnel. The signs out front often They call them touchless car wash because you don't touch anything. Uh, Your car just drives through this and these giant um, whirring strips and soap kind of hit your car and wash it. The touchless car wash, the no touch car wash. And what I wanna say about this is Christianity is not a touchless religion. Uh, The way God makes his love and his mercy and his belovedness to you known is shown in this passage. When the parents and the caregivers bring the children to Jesus, it says they just brought them to him, to, that he might touch them, that he might lay a blessing on them. But his response is so powerful, and it's so typically Jesus. It says he took them up in his arms, in verse 16, and laid his hands on them and blessed them. So he embraces them. He hugs them. Because you and me, as embodied creatures, creatures that have bodies, it's hard to know that we're loved if there's no physical touch. That's just how we're made. I heard a profound example of this, really heartbreaking recently. This was an interview done with an EMT in the New York area. This is somebody who drives an ambulance and helps people in major crises and following accidents or home situations, heart attacks, and one of the things in his job that he's had to do for 10 years, that he's been in this position, is to give people bad news when they've done everything they can and their loved one has died. Uh, and he says, always, when I do that, I've been able to put an arm around the person or to embrace them or even just uh, hold their hand. And last week he had to tell a husband that his wife had died, there was nothing more they could do. She had died from coronavirus. And the EMT could not touch the man, had to tell him this six feet apart. And he said for the first time in his life after that, he went back to his car and wept because he knew how important touch was at communicating comfort, love, common humanity. And not being able to do that it was so heartbreaking to him. God knows that we need to know that he loves us. And that's why Jesus doesn't just lay a hand on these children and bless them. He embraces them. And for you, for you to know that this message is true, what I've just said, that if you're like a child, weak, powerless, sinful, the kingdom of God is yours, you are beloved. For you to know this, Jesus, for you, like for these children, he needs to communicate that through embodied means. And so... God often puts people in our lives to show us this with an embrace or with a touch. Uh, And he will also physically do something very powerful in the next few verses and chapters when he physically will give his body for you, when he will have his hands pierced for you, when his physical and real blood will flow down his side for you. Jesus knows that abstract love Metaphorical love is not really what we need. We need love that is made clear to us physically, like he shows it to his children with an embrace, and like he shows it to all of us through his death, embodied death on the cross. So what have we said? We are like children, weak, powerless, sinful, and yet beloved. The kingdom of God belongs to children, to you and to me. And the reason we know that this is not some abstract thing is because God is not like the touchless car wash. He gets gets up to us, gets close to us, embraces us, and shows us really in physical embodied ways through his own death on the cross for us. Let's pray. Dear God, help us to know your love for us. Sink it deep into our hearts that we would know as your children that we already have the kingdom of God. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you.